0: I want to direct your attention to a portion of the scripture found in Ephesians chapter 2, the very first verse, that says, For we are God's masterpiece. Paul writes, We are God's masterpiece. And the title of this message is The Great Masterpiece. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your keeping grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Might you be honored through your word. And Lord, might we see your faithfulness manifested once again in lives. It's in that precious name of Jesus that we've come. Amen and amen. These past months have been interesting, to say the least. Even starting at the beginning of the year, we have saw tension and disruption in our, in our society. Anger. Now we've just passed through this time of isolation because of this pandemic. And we have, in turn, come to that place of where we're saying to the Lord, Lord, what is happening? If that's not enough, then we've seen over these past few weeks what we've seen what we call a, a racist action. And truly, in turn, there's been reactions to that. Some mild protests and others Disruption, rioting, and looting. I wonder, as I looked at all of this, uh, there are a number of reasons, I'm sure, but I'm wondering if there is one underlying reason that we might once again reflect on. That being that somehow people have lost the sanctity of life, lost sight of what that means. I wonder if we haven't somehow lost sight of of how God views mankind, of how he deals with mankind, and how he desires for us to deal with one another. Remember that verse that we read this morning? We are God's masterpiece. What a statement that is by Paul. As I was was pondering these aspects, I I remembered something that transpired on our 25th wedding anniversary. Hopefully, this example will set the stage for what we're going to be talking about. We were in New Jersey pastoring a church, and and we had a family that in turn had been transferred to Belgium. They were going to be living right outside of Brussels, and uh, Tom, was his name, came to me and said, Pastor, you have to come and visit us in Brussels. That point in time, we had one youngster in Christian school and another youngster in Christian college, and so it, money was not exactly something that uh, was allowed allowed us for that trip. That trip, so I had to say to him, "No, I don't think so, Tom." He came back to me when he found out it was our 25th wedding anniversary, the year of our 25th wedding anniversary, and said, "Oh, you have to come, Pastor." And the church caught wind of that, and in turn they decided to come alongside of us and help us. So we had the privilege of traveling to Europe and visiting Belgium and visiting France and making our way over to England. And in, in, in Paris, for instance, we had an itinerary. We had a, a, a things that we wanted to see. And so consequently, uh, we began to visit those areas. And one of them was the Louvre Museum. Now, I am no art critic. I am no, I, I'm not an artist by any means. But I know what I like, but we decided that we'd like to go to the Louvre, the world's largest, the world's most visited art museum. I didn't really know what to expect when we stood in front of it. I mean, here was this huge building. We're told that it's some 783,000 square feet. We're also told that there are some 38,000 pieces of art in the Louvre. 75 of, of the Seventy-five hundred of them are pictures, paintings. Well, we went into the Louvre and took a tour. And as we moved through the Louvre, we came to this one room, and we said, this is going to be the highlight of the tour. So we stood there, waiting for a crowd to clear out of one area that they were standing in front of. And as we moved over, we realized that it was the Mona Lisa. I can remember the look on Sharon's face yet. As we stood in front of this picture, she looked at me and she said, Larry, I thought it was going to be bigger. The picture itself is only 21 inches by 30 inches. It's a portrait, a portrait of a woman. The woman's name is Lisa, by the way Lisa del Giacondo. She was the wife of a wealthy French silk merchant. So she wasn't royalty. She probably wasn't well-known, actually. But da Vinci had been given the responsibility of painting this portrait so that they might hang it in their new home. As you look at the portrait, you see this woman with a, kind of an interesting smile. You look at her and you realize that her clothing is not one to indicate wealth. And you see this this landscape behind her and that's something that's really unusual. The colors are not bright, they're dark. And yet, the interesting thing is that this painting was insured for some approximately $650 million. So the question comes, what makes this painting so valuable? Is it the technique that was used to paint it? Is it the subject matter? Is it the brush strokes? Is it the color? Is it the accuracy? What was it? Is it the smile of this woman? I would suggest to you that there may be some of those aspects that were considered, but Really, the reason behind it all was the painter, was the artist, da Vinci. Da Vinci, by some, is considered the greatest painter of all times, the greatest artist. But the interesting thing was, he was not formally trained. The other interesting fact is that he had many interests. For instance, he was a sculptor, he was an architect, he had an interest in literature, in the sciences. He was an engineer. As a matter of fact, many of his draftings were, were known worldwide. And he also was an inventor. One of, one of the things that he really had an interesting interest in was seeing the flight of man. Now, as I thought about that, I realized that truly he was not the greatest painter, the greatest creator of all time. Neither was his contemporary, Michelangelo. But rather, there was one much greater than he. Namely, God. The almighty God who created the universe. Who created the heavens and the earth. The scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that he spoke all of that into existence. But his greatest creation was not the mountains or the lakes or the rivers, but rather, it was man. It's said that, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, he was God's masterpiece. One of great worth. Now, when I speak of man, please understand, I'm speaking of both man and woman. I'm talking of mankind. But the reality is, That creative aspect gives man great worth, great value, inestimable value, incalculable value. Why? Well, because of the creator and because of the fact of how he desires to have a relationship with us and how scripture tells us he desires to live within us. And if that's not enough, he's gone one step further to talk about promises that he has for each one of us the plans he has for us so this morning i want to to look at this creative power this creative genius the greatest artist of all time and then i want to talk about the relationship factor because i believe that if we can come to grips with how god views man then in turn we will understand how we're to relate with one another and how we're to look at ourselves because I'm afraid that we might very well have lost all of that. Let's talk about the Creator. According to the book of Genesis, God created the light. He created the heavens. He created the dry ground separated from the water, along with the vegetation. He created the sun, moon, and stars. He created the birds of the air, the creatures of the sea. And on the sixth day of creation, He created the beasts of the field. And then finally, Finally, he turned to his greatest creation. Up until that point, everything that had been created had been spoken into existence. And in turn, he had said, it it was good. But for man, he took the dust of the earth and created man. He created man, we're told, in his own image. Now, we're not talking about physical image here. We're talking about Spiritual, character, that inner being, the moral likeness. And in turn, the scripture says that then he breathed into man the breath of life. Note the picture. The creative power. A woman created in like fashion was created out of Adam, but had the same qualities So there was no no difference between man and woman. We move on and we find that, for instance, in Psalm chapter 8, verse number 5, David says that man was created just a little lower than the heavenly beings. Or the Amplified says, was created a little lower than God. (laughs) We understand the value, don't we? The interesting thing is that that did not stop at the point of creation but it was ongoing for instance david writes in psalm 139 verse number 13 for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb the creative aspect and in each case he looked at what he had created he said that's very good why because that was his masterpiece now realize that if we come to the place of where we can view ourselves in that fashion, if we come to the place of where we can view each other in that fashion then there will not be such a thing as improper relationships, race relationships gender relationships or anything else. It starts with us understanding the value that we have to God as individuals. But then in it moves on to the place of where that dictates how we deal with one another, how we talk to one another, how we act towards one another. You see, we are his masterpiece, created in his image, but it didn't stop there. You see, our inestimable worth also involves that desire that he has for a relationship with us. That relationship that because sin was ushered into this world was lost. Sin in turn separated man from God. It broke that work of art, so to speak, that we know of. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, Paul says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory. Every single person. And so there for there to be a relationship with God, there must be a mending, a recreation, so to speak. And there's a wonderful verse, the latter part of that Ephesians chapter 2, where we read that he created, God created, through Jesus, created a new that relationship, our relationship with the Almighty. He created anew so that we are God's workmanship. And he has a a plan for us to do good, those things that he had decided for us long ago. (laughs) We're God's temple, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. And God's spirit dwells within us. God's spirit dwells within us. We are his temple. Whoever lives in love, John writes, lives in God, God in him. So, in turn, what we're looking at is this, this aspect of relationship and then the aspect of his dwelling within us. He dwells within his temple, and we are his temple. And that furthers the picture of, of his concept of our worth. We're, we're of value to God because of the fact that. He created us in his image. And he has a work for us to do. He desires to work through us. And our value is incalculable. Greater than the Mona Lisa. Much greater. But it didn't stop there. There are the promises of his plan for and his plan for us. As a matter of fact, you look at just a few. Matthew chapter 7, for instance, he says... Ask and you shall receive, a promise. Seek and you shall find, a promise. Knock and it shall be opened, a promise. Matthew chapter 17, we're told that nothing shall be impossible with God. And then in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, we're told that all things are possible. And if that's not enough, in Hebrews chapter 13, he says to us this, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's a promise. Now, these are just a a handful of promises, in comparison to all the promises that he gives in Scripture. (laughs) I don't know. I've never counted the promises of God, personally. I'm told that there are some 365 promises in Scripture, one for each day of the year, but I don't know if that's true. I read in in another source that there are 750 promises alone in the New Testament. But the interesting thing is, Many are repeated and so consequently they boil down to maybe 250. But it doesn't make any difference. The promises are there. It doesn't make any difference how many there are. God cares enough, desiring enough for a relationship with us that in turn, he values us enough that he gives us these promises by which we can live. And he even goes one step further. When that time comes when we leave this earth, in other words, we have died. And if we have accepted the Savior, and if turn in turn we have a relationship with the Savior, then we're told to be that we are absent from the body, though we are with him in his heavenly home. What a what a wonderful promise. Now, if we should if we should be here to the very end of time when when Christ tells us in the book of Revelation that he will return, then the scripture says that we'll be taken out of this world, those who believe in him, to spend eternity with him. Why? Because we're his creation. And his creation is a masterpiece. It is very good. Now, many of you may be feeling that tension, that uncertainty, Many of you may be struggling with the violence that you see in the media. Many of you may be struggling with fear. But first of all, you're God's creation. You were created by God. You are his masterpiece. Now, if you have taken the next step and said, I need that relationship factor in my life, and you've acknowledged Christ as the one who went to a cross for you, then in turn, you have the added realization that you are so pleasing in His sight. You are His masterpiece. If you come to that place of where you struggle day in and day out, He wants to give you the promise and and the realization of His love this morning. He wants you to know that He cares because you're worth it. You're worth so very much. He has a plan for you. Maybe you've never acknowledged this one, the Savior, that restores that relationship this morning. I would invite you to pray with me. Maybe you are a believer. You, you have acknowledged Christ as Savior, but now you've come to that place where you realize you need to be reminded once again of how special you are to God. That you are that masterpiece. So I'm going to ask that you pray with me and make that realization so much a part of your life that you can't ignore it this next week. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your creative power. We thank you that in turn you have made me You have made each one of us, all that you desire, a great masterpiece. Lord, you have done a work in us that goes beyond anything that we could ever begin to imagine. And you have a plan for our lives. For that one this morning that has never made a a commitment to you, I would pray that right now they would seek to restore that relationship by asking you to be their Savior. I would pray, Lord God, also, that you would make real to our hearts how much you love us and the desires that you have for us. Lord, might we be pleasing in your sight. Amen and amen.